Well, as we're still giving um, in offering, if you've got a Bible, why don't you grab it? If you don't have a Bible or own one, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew in front of you. Um, if you don't own one or if it's your first time here at Westside, that's our gift to you. We would love for you to have God's Word. Um, before we dive in, we've got um, a few announcements. Uh, we kind of switched up the order of service today just because we've got a lot of things coming up. Um, we launch and do a lot of things coming in the fall. And so we've got a lot of things on the list, and especially in the month of August. Um, next Sunday, we're having our back-to-school bash And so we would love for you to come out and be a part of that, your entire family. We're sort of renting out the city pool there. Um, Kona Ice is going to be there. It's just going to be a great time for the whole family for us to get together, hang out um, in the hot heat and cool down in the pool and some ice. And so we would love for you to come out with your entire family. Um, And then also we are a part of a ministry that's called Breaking Bread. And breaking bread um, meets a need here in the community that is one of the most basic gospel needs, which is um, feeding people that need food. And so there will be someone there at the welcome desk. Uh, we would love for you to sign up for that. Um, we don't do a lot of programs and a lot of things here at Westside, but one of the things that we want you to get involved in is serving alongside each other. And so um, August 13th is that day. There will be more information out there. We would love for you to sign, uh, sign up for that. And then also, we're going to be having a baptism service on August 20th here at Westside. Um, We uh, believe that baptism is a big deal because Jesus teaches that it's a big deal. And so the New Testament knows nothing of a follower of Jesus Christ who's not been baptized. And so um, if you have questions about that, we teach a baptism class. If you've made a decision for Jesus Christ or if you yourself have never been baptized, sign up on that list. You can come through that baptism class. We would love to um, walk you through that as well. And then also, if you're a covenant member here at Westside and gone through our connections class or been here before we instituted that, we're going to have our um, end of the year business meeting, which is going to be on August 23rd. Um, This is your right and your responsibility um, as a covenant member here to come be a part. You'll get to see where all the finances go. We'll vote to approve um, this coming year's budget with everything that's taken place. One of the things that I'm so excited about is you're going to get to hear about how much money we've given away um, as a church this year and everything like that. So that's extremely important. Be sure and put that on your calendar. And then also beginning August 30th, leading us through the fall, we're going to start our next round of connection classes. And what the Connection classes is, is we say this is how you go from being a Sunday attender to a family member. This is the formal doorway that you walk through to be a part of the family here at Westside. You'll learn all about what we believe. Um, all of the areas and opportunities of service that we have, and you'll get to come and be a part of that. So um, if you're thinking about or have been thinking about coming and being a part of the family here at Westside, there will be a sign-up sheet out there. Be sure and sign up for that. And then one thing that I am particularly excited about is beginning August 13th, we're going to start a new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is going to walk us through all the way to Advent. And so um, we preach normally through books of the Bible here at Westside. Uh, We believe that God wrote a book. Amen. And so we believe that what he says matters. And so we're going to go verse by verse through everything that Jesus said. And we're entitling this series called Jesus Uncensored. And so a lot of people say, well, did Jesus really talk about this? Or I don't think Jesus really said anything about this. And we're going to just spend a whole slew of time on stuff that Jesus really said. So we're incredibly excited about that. If you have a friend or a family member who hasn't been to church or isn't a Christian, it's always a great time to invite them when we start a sermon series. And especially one like this that looks at Jesus uncensored. And then um, last but not least, the book of Proverbs says to give honor to whom honor is due. 
And um, me and my family had the privilege and opportunity because of the graciousness of you guys um, and our board um, to go on vacation. And it was an awesome time and, and a much needed rest for us. But um, while I was gone, Pastor Tyler um, held down the fort um, with having a job, with having a baby on the way and man the pulpit and did a phenomenal job. And so just um, as a token of love, can we show him some love for what he did as we were? Absolutely. Amen. Amen. We got a great team here at Westside. So, hey, enough of that mushy stuff. Grab your Bible, okay? All right? Psalm 126, we're in a sermon series looking at the book of Psalms. I will read the text, and we're just going to dive right in. I'm ready to go. Are you ready? Say amen. Amen. 126, God's word says this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're in the series called um, Psalms, Learning to Express Our Emotions Biblically, and we're ending today looking at um, the emotion of joy. And I tell you what, just through confirmation of um, being your pastor and hearing conversations, it's, it's really been an awesome time what God has done with us um, going through His Word and looking at how to express our emotions biblically. And today as we look at joy, I'm very excited about this because I believe that the world and even us as followers of Christ have a great misnomer and misunderstanding when it comes to joy. And I believe that we can look at a greatly profound, deeply theological um, illustration for this, and that's the Disney Pixar movie Inside Out. Um, This movie's been referenced before, but um, what this movie is, it's about um, a little girl named Riley. And what Disney Pixar does is you go inside Riley's head, and they give characters to her emotions. And so the lead character in her emotions is joy all throughout the movie in Riley's head. Every emotion that she has gets processed by the emotion of joy. And she sort of mans the controls for Riley's emotions. But joy is always competing and in conflict with the emotion of sadness all throughout the movie. And joy and sadness are always in conflict. And there's actually a scene in the movie, I was watching this with my children um, as research for this series, because I don't know what you do for research when you study the Bible, but that's what I do. And so we were watching this series, and there was a profound scene that took place. And I thought, my kids have no idea what's happening, and Disney Pixar is going deep with us right now. But there's a scene where sadness or joy takes sadness over to the side. And Riley is about to experience one of her first days of school, so there's going to be a lot of emotions And joy takes sadness to the side, draws a circle around sadness, and says, don't leave this circle, right? Because if you leave this circle, you're going to ruin everything. Nobody's going to be happy at all today if you ever get outside of this circle. And when I was sitting there watching that, I thought, that's me. That's what I do in my life. I try to push things away that could cause any sort of harm. Um, any sort of sadness, any, any sort of anything that's unknown. I don't step out a lot of times in faith. I try to control a lot of aspects of my life because I believe that joy is the absence of all of those things. And Eugene Peterson in his book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction says this about Psalm 126. 
A common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt. Get rid of pain by numbing the nerve ends. Get rid of insecurity by eliminating risks. Get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing our relationships. And then try to lighten the boredom of such of life by buying joy in the form of vacations or entertainment. But there is no hint of this in Psalm 126. Because I don't know if you picked up on when we were reading, but joy and laughter was used, but the words tears and crying and weeping were used in the same psalm. Psalm 126 is known as a psalm of ascent. And it's in a number of psalms found in the book of Psalms. And what the psalms of ascent are were when the Israelites got out of captivity. I don't know if you were here for the Nehemiah sermon series that we did, but whenever they fell into Babylonian captivity and were released from that, they made a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And the Israelites sang a number of psalms. And Psalm 126 is one of those psalms that they sang on their way back. Just think about it. They were in Babylonian captivity for a number of years. They were slaves. And tens of thousands of people make a pilgrimage across the desert. And as they're walking, they're singing these psalms. And Psalm 126 about joy is one of those. So what I want to do today is I want to look at three things. What joy is, where joy is found, And how do we get this joy? So the first thing is this. What joy is? Look at verses 1 through 3. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Long before Aerosmith was singing Dreamweaver, the Israelites were singing songs about dream, right? Good, you're with me today. Verse 2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, right? I love it, laughter. And our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, it's incredible, um, the Israelites say that surrounding nations even picked up on what God had done. The Lord has done great things for them. And then verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. There's a gentleman in my life um, who I've listened through on the radio by a guy by the name of Dr. James McDonald who has um, Walk in the Word radio that comes on early in the mornings. But he defined joy. I listened to a sermon that he had on joy when I first became a follower of Christ. And um, his definition of joy is so succinct. I remember an English professor said, um, if, if you can't come up with something, just quote somebody who said it better than you. And so I'm going to do that. And, and this is how he defines joy. Joy is the supernatural delight in the person purposes, and people of God. That's a good definition. Joy is, first off, the supernatural delight. Joy is supernatural. Joy is not something that you and I make. We're not going to run down to the 7-Eleven, get a big gulp, and some joy today, okay? Joy is the supernatural delight in the person of God, in the purposes of God, but then also in the people of God. And I see that in our text today. That there's joy and there's laughter in the Lord. The the word Lord is used three times in these verses. In the person of God. But then also in the purposes of God. That he brought them out of captivity. That he restored their fortunes. But it's also a plurality of language that's used. It's we. It's us. We are glad. And I love that idea because what joy is, is oftentimes what the Bible speaks of very different than what you and I think of. Um, really, just by way of illustration, I, one of the movies... Do you, do you remember the movie The Wizard of Oz? Do you remember that? Um, 
I remember like, when, man, when that movie changes to color, that's incredible whenever that happens, right, in, in the movie. But do you remember Dorothy in the movie? She wears me slick all through that whole movie. Because what's the premise of the whole movie? She's in Kansas, and she wants nothing more to be out of Kansas, right? She wants to get off the farm. She wants to get out of this place. She can't stand it anymore. She's sighing. She's sad all the time. And then what happens when she gets out of Kansas and goes to Oz? The whole movie, she wants to go back to Kansas. The whole entire movie. She's sad. She wants to go home. I want to go back. And oftentimes, I think that's how we are. That we think literally that joy is something in our life that we can achieve. Joy is just on the other side of that job. Man, if I can just get that job, and if I can just get this thing lined out in my family, if I can just get my marriage here, if I can just get married, if I can just get the kids here, and we can get out of this season, if I can just get in this phase in my life, and if I can just achieve something, then I'll have joy in my life. But the scriptures don't speak of joy being that way. What the scriptures speak of is this, is that joy is a byproduct of the Christian life. Joy is not something that we achieve. Joy is something that we receive. Joy is something that happens when God moves in our midst and moves in our life. And the New Testament would teach this in the book of Galatians when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of what God does in your life. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Do you see? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things, if you know this, if you're in agriculture or if you've lived anywhere around this area, fruit is not something that you can just produce on your own. There's a process that takes place. So what is joy? Joy is the supernatural delight and the person purposes and people of God. We don't achieve this, and many of us walked in here today and are already arranging our week and putting up safeguards in our life. We're avoiding certain conversations that may need to take place this week. We're avoiding certain things that maybe the Lord is bringing conviction in our life and a direction that we need to go through. And, and, and what we're doing is we're safeguarding all of these areas, thinking that when we have this, then we will get joy. But the reality is, is joy is something that God does on his own. That's what joy is. But where is joy found? Where can we find it? And it's a peculiar thing. Look in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Anytime that the Bible mentions a specific location whenever you're reading a passage, it's very important for us to understand what the author is trying to communicate to us. And what I always love doing is anytime there's a location that's mentioned, I love laying before you that the Bible is not a fairy tale. It's not, some, um, it's not in the fiction section at a bookstore. This is a real book written by real people in real times and real places. And we actually know what the Negev is. It's actually called the Negev today, and it looks like this. Um, you can actually go right there, but it is a parched, dry, straight desert. Um, the population is very small. Nobody actually lives in the Negev desert, but they live in the surrounding towns and surrounding areas. And what the psalmist says is, restore our fortunes like the streams in the Negev. 
The Negev looks like this year-round until the rainy season, which is January through March, and then it looks like this. Incredible, right? And it literally happens overnight. The streams, and when the rainy season comes, it causes mass flooding, and through the rain and the sunshine, these red flowers pop up all through the Negev. And actually, the popular time for the tourist season is right after the rainy seasons because people go out and they see these beautiful red flowers. But now think about what the psalmist is trying to tell us. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. When you first look at the Negev, it's a dry desert land. Nobody would ever think that God would do something here. Oh, this is good. This is really good, okay? I don't know where you're at in your life, but some of you feel like you're in a dry desert land. That the marriage, that the children, that the job, that this season of your life, man, you just don't see what God is doing. But isn't it how always God's grace works? It's always in the least likely places that we would look. See, we're, we're a lot like children, really, right? We're just children who have mortgages. That's all adults are, you know what I mean, right? And health insurance and stuff like that, you know? Like adulting is really hard. But other than that, our emotions and where we pursue and seek joy is really no different. And I found this to be no more true than these past couple of weeks when we were on vacation. Um, our, our youngest daughter, Piper, got to experience the beach for the very first time. And um, one day I, I snapped a photograph and it looked like this. That's her there in the bottom left. And the tide had come up um, really high in the evening. And so it left a little pool there on the beach. And um, she was a little bit scared of the tide because she would walk down and it would just dominate her in the face. You know, it's kind of scary. The ocean's uncontrollable. So one day what she did is she just played in this puddle all day long. She played in the puddle. And I would have to pick her up and go over where the family was and go, hey, here's the ocean, okay? And she would make her way back up the beach and she would go and play in a puddle. And I saw one of my favorite authors' quotes come true. Because I thought, she's playing in a little puddle that will dry up at the end of the day. And the vast ocean is right beside her. And she's settling by playing in a little puddle, not realizing the joy and the vastness that's found in the ocean. And C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. You see, our problem is that we are creatures who are far too easily pleased. That's actually what God's commands are for us. You see, we think that God's commands, the do nots in the scripture, take away our joy. So when it's this idea of sex before marriage or God's design about sex or when it's God's design about money or how relationships would work or how the authority of the local church should be, we think all of these things are to take our joy away. But in reality, we are like Piper playing in a puddle when the ocean is right next to us. And what's so profound is where is joy found? God does this. God gives deep joy. 
in the driest places. So I have to ask you today, where are you looking for joy in your life? Because, man, if you're looking for it in the career, it will crush your expectations on that job. And if you're single and if you're dating in here today, the greatest way to destroy and to sabotage your marriage before it starts is to place all of your expectations on your spouse to fulfill you and to give you ultimate and complete joy. In reality, when God gives us joy sometimes in the hardest places, that we shouldn't avoid these areas in our life, but in reality that through suffering and through dry desert lands is where his joy is found. But I know what you're wanting to know now. How do we get this joy? We know what joy is. It's the supernatural delight found in the person, purposes, and people of God. We know where joy is found. Joy is found in the negative, in the desert, in the dry places, because that's what God's grace does, is that he meets us in our lowest points and gives us his greatest grace. Though our sins, they were many, his mercy is more. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in his mercy and grace has made us alive with Christ. Jesus. It's in these moments I'm preaching to somebody today who's going through something in their family and in their life who does not see the workings of God, but what I'm telling you to do today is to hold on because he restores like streams in the negative, in the desert, in the dry places. So how do we get this? Well, we get the analogy. Verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The psalmist gives us an illustration of seed and sowing seed. And if there's anything that you know about the process of seed and the process of what's called germination, right? Is that when a seed is sown into the ground, the seed actually dies, In order to produce life. And there's tears. And there's weeping. And there's a process involved in this. Think about this. Today some of you woke up and had a hearty breakfast with eggs, toast, and praise God for the new covenant, bacon. We don't need none of that turkey bacon. I need real bacon, bro. Okay? Don't give me a soy burger. I want beef. I want something to die to eat my food. Okay? But think about it. Or if you're one of those like protein shake things a plant had to die okay all right I'll give you that okay right because listen this is actually and what we what we forget that literally death and resurrection is in the DNA of how the universe works how a star in the universe puts off light is because the star has died How you ate something and got sustenance this morning is because something died in order to produce life And Jesus actually taught this in the Gospels. He says this in the book of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Those are bold words, bro. Bold words to say. 
And it is the antithesis of what the world... Listen, I got 40 minutes on a Sunday to shout at you and to tell you and to go against everything that the world and commercials and Matthew McConaughey says in those Lincoln commercials. I don't know what he says, but I think I'm supposed to buy a Lincoln, okay? The world is constantly telling you to keep your life and to maintain it. And then this Jewish rabbi comes along and says, actually... Actually, if you try to keep your life, you'll lose it. But if you hate it, hate it. I'm just preaching the Bible. Jesus said that. Well, I don't really think it's hate. I think it's less like. No, he said hate, so you got to take it for what it is, okay? You can take it up with Jesus. And it reminded me, we were looking through some pictures um, last year at a family member's house. And uh, it was right around the time that Piper was born. And somebody said, look at this picture of, of Courtney. And it had a picture of Courtney um, holding this white cat that she had. And um, they said, do you know the story about the white cat? I said, I don't know the story about the white cat. But Courtney looked just like Piper in the picture, and it was just incredible. And they said, Courtney, tell Jason about the picture of the white cat. And so Courtney loved this cat so much, took it everywhere, threw fits, and just had to have this kitten. And one day, um, she would always hold, she would always hug, she would always pet this kitten. And one day, she was just loving this cat, just loving this cat. And she loved this cat so much that she was hugging it so tight one day, she just snapped its little neck. You didn't know that? You didn't think that was coming, did you? Didn't see that coming in the story. She hugged it, loved it, and just loved it to death, literally, is what she did. And listen, some of you are that way with your life. Some of you are that way with your kids. Some of you are that way with your marriage. Some of you are that way with your finances. I've got to keep. I've got to hoard. I've got to love. I've got to protect. This is mine. This is mine. And the grasp is so tight. And the joy that you're seeking is actually the joy that you are crushing and killing when you're holding on to it. Because Jesus says this, that you gain joy by losing your life. Did you know that that's the gospel call? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous theologian through the World War II, said that when Christ bids a man to come, he bids a man to come and to die at his feet. Because there cannot be a resurrection unless there has been a death. So what do you need to let go of today? What are you holding on to so tightly and so hard? And listen, there will be pain in letting it go. That's why the psalmist says, who weeps and sows in tears. Literally, the picture is someone who has seed, which is sacred. And they're weeping as they go out and they throw the seed out on the ground. And if you know anything about the process of agriculture, it doesn't just sprout up overnight. But there's weeks and there's months of weeping an uncertainty of living in faith and not knowing, is God going to produce something? Is this going to happen? But then it says that he shall come home. And I love what my favorite preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, says that when you read the Bible, you underline shalls and wills because that's God's promise. And God is a thousand for a thousand. He's a hundred for a hundred for coming through on every promise that he's ever promised. And it says in Psalm 126 that though you weep those tears... That though you sow that seed and though you do not see the harvest of that, there will be a day that when you come home and he shall come home with the harvest and his sheaves holding them in his hands. This is profound. 
Well, we've got to go back to the beginning. Because these are the Psalms of Ascent, remember? And it was Jewish tradition that when the Feast of the Passovers would take place, they would sing these hymns all the way up into Jesus' day. And there's a little verse tucked away at the end of the Gospel of Mark after Jesus has just had the Feast of the Passovers with His disciples. And they walk to the Mount of Olives and it says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Many scholars believe that Jesus sung Psalm 127 as He walked to the Mount of Olives. And what did He do in the Mount of Olives? It says this, And He took with Him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even unto death. And in that moment He would pray and He would sweat drops of blood and He would weep as someone who was sowing seed because He knew what was about to happen because the grain of wheat would fall into the ground and He would die and He would be buried into the earth. But three days later that grain of wheat would rise and that would be the resurrection that would offer eternal life and listen to me the greatest joy that the earth has ever seen was on resurrection Sunday when the angel rolled that stone away and that grave was empty and God came through on every promise that he had ever promised and he offered eternal life to sinners who were far away from him and as the book of Hebrews says Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and He seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just look at this verse. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, okay, there's our joy right there. The joy set before Him endured the cross. The cross How in the world can the cross and joy be mentioned in the same verse? How can Psalm 126 talk about joy, laughter? It was almost like a dream state when God brought to us this type of salvation, but almost in two verses later, talk about weeping and sowing and crying and mourning. It's because this profound truth, and I want you to understand this, and I believe that this truth from Psalm 126 will change your life, and it's this. Joy does not mean that sorrow is absent. Joy means that Jesus is present. Joy does not mean that sorrow is absent. Joy means that Jesus is present in your life. That yes, there will be weeping, and yes, there will be mourning, but what Christianity has to offer is what science can offer you, is what money can offer you, it's what your circumstances can offer you, is that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the deepest, darkest moment in your marriage, in your life, in your walk with Jesus Christ, is that it doesn't mean that sorrow has to be absent, it just means that Jesus is present amidst the sorrow. And this is a profound truth that we have to understand in our life. So as the band comes up, I just have a few questions to review. The first thing is this, is really, where's your joy? Where have you been looking? Can you be honest today? Can you you just be really, truly honest? And say, God, I've been looking... I've been looking at my job. I've been looking at my kids. I've been looking in this relationship. I've been thinking just like Dorothy. Oh, let us not be so proud that we cannot be humbled by the gospel today. That I've always thought that if I could just get this thing or just get right around the bend, then I would have joy in my life. 
And when you look back upon your life, that's never been true for you. And then the second question is this. What do you have to let go of today? What seed has to be sown and let go of in order to be sown in the ground? Because the psalmist would say in Psalm 1611 this. You've made known to me the path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And what's at the right hand of God? But what Hebrews chapter 4 said, that when Jesus was resurrected, that he ascended in Acts chapter 1. And as the great high priest for us, the great high priest only sat down whenever the sacrifice was finished. And Jesus, as the great high priest of the universe, ascended to the right hand of God. And he sat down, meaning this found truth that sin has been paid for and there's no more sacrifices there's no more payments for sin he was crucified once and he was resurrected once so now our joy is eternal it does not depend upon our circumstances and some of you walked in this room today and you walked in this chapel having sorrow be present and i tell you upon the authority of god's word joy doesn't mean that sorrow is absent joy means that jesus is present with you today You can leave today and have the most profound joy amidst weeping and amidst sorrow. And sometimes that's the greatest, deepest joy that we could ever have in our life. I'm going to pray and then we're going to come forward and come to the tables. And we're going to see the body broken and the blood shed. The cross, horrific sacrifice that led to eternal joy. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and Holy Spirit, have your way with us. God, many of us need to let go of something today. Many of us have a wrong definition of joy. And if our joy is not ultimately found in you, then it is fleeting. And many of us are in the Negev desert today. And God, we're praying of your streams of mercy and grace to wash over us in a profound way. And may we know that we can have joy amidst the sorrow that weeping only tarries for the night. But joy, joy comes in the morning. We pray this in the mighty and the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.